This is le podcast on emerging leadership. I am Alexis Monville. Agility, innovation and leadership, or how to improve management so your company succeeds in the 21st century. Jorgen Apello is a serial founder, successful entrepreneur, author and speaker. Jorgen is pioneering management to help creative organizations survive and thrive. Hey, Jorgen, what is your role and how would you describe it to someone you just met? My role, I usually describe that as I'm an author and speaker and also an entrepreneur on the side. What was the pivotal moment that led you on that trajectory? Well, I think the pivotal moment would be the uh, the release of my book, Manager 3.0. I have been a manager for a good number of years in my younger days. <laughs> Originally a software engineer, uh, studied at the University in Delft, but my interests were much broader than just programming. I was never really a geek or nerd, if you could say that. I was interested in marketing and finance and <laughs> lots of different stuff. So it was sort of obvious that I became manager, team leader, manager, etc., and then the chief information officer. And in that role, I introduced agile practices in the organization where I worked. I introduced Scrum and, and had to figure out what is the role of the manager in an agile organization, because at the time this was not really addressed. It was mostly team practices. I'm talking... 2001 to 2010 uh, here. So I sort of claimed that as my niche and I wrote a book on it, Manager Theodore. And yeah, that became a bestseller. And even before it came out, I quit my job because I already got requests for events, workshops that I started to develop. And from that moment on, I have been acting independently, doing lots of things, cool stuff. And uh, first for seven years, focused on Manchester and licensing around it. And then I went in other directions, experimenting with other ideas. It's really interesting to me. I feel that in the 21st century, there's a lot of things that change and are changing and will continue to change. What do you think is the main leadership traits people should care to develop? Well, this is the typical question. Uh, what is the one best thing? Well, the actual answer is always uh, there is no one most important thing because <laughs> we're working with complex systems and uh, social systems and uh, they too complex to just summarize everything in, in one sentence. But that being said, a couple of things come to mind. First of all, experimentation, fast feedback loops, that also applies to management and I would say this is perhaps the core of agile thinking, fast feedback loops. So you learn quickly with small uh, experiments, uh, figuring out what the customer wants, what the customer uh, needs, how they respond to ideas. Exactly the same applies to managers and leaders when they want to create better organizations and the customer's often for them, are employees. They need to make sure that people don't leave. And this has become more and more important nowadays. I was lucky enough to meet with you in person during the first Agile Lean Europe event in, uh, in Berlin. I, I guess it was more than 10 years ago. Oh, cool. Yeah, that was a special one. The very first one is always nice to have memories of the very first time uh, an edition and the event takes place. And the feel of the event was really the, the one of a 
community and friendship. I, I would like to ask you, what, what is the place of communities in your life, in your work? Well, at the time, I was sort of responsible for that event, Agile in Europe. At, the, at least I came up with the name. I even came up with a logo of Agile in Europe. And then other people took over and started organizing the event in Berlin that you referred to. But of course, I very much felt uh, at the center of that community and still do. I'm happy that there's a new event being organized uh, this year in Toulouse, apparently especially for someone like me who is actually an introvert and loves being on his own day after day, thinking and reading and writing and creating stuff. It is important to feel part of something, to have a sense of belonging. And for me, that is the agile, uh, lean community in Europe. I know so many people uh, because I have attended hundreds of events across the continent in almost every country, I think. I follow people and they follow me online, so we can chat on Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever. There's always these weak connections. No matter what the distance is across Europe, you feel connected with each other. And that's a good feeling, especially, as I said, for people such as me who do a lot of things on their own remotely. It feels like homecoming when I am at an event and I see Uh, friends and followers and people that I know from across uh, Europe, then I feel, okay, this is the place I belong. These are the cool people that I want to hang out with. And that is, I think, the purpose of community, to give you that place of belonging, even when most of the time you travel around the world and you sit alone in coffee bars or hotel uh, <laughs> hotel lobbies. I feel in your in your different businesses or in in the the work that you are doing that communities are always really present, uh, like with management 3.0 or with the uh, Happy Millie. We can see a lot of people gathering with each other to achieve a, a greater purpose. Is it really something that that is real, or is it my perception of it? That's just people gathering together around a specific topic, like indeed there is a Management Theatre community. Of course, uh, there are other communities that I am either responsible for or involved in. But for me, they're all part of a larger community out there, as I said, which is agile and lean-oriented people. They sort of gather together in these sub-communities in, in different constellations. Uh, so you keep you keep running into the same people, basically, no matter which sub-community you find yourself. And that's nice. And I think that's that's important to have that. You mentioned already the Management 3.0 book. You've written several books. How to Change the World was already a nice, fun, a nice small one that you are offering for free on your website. I will put a link to that. The experience on managing for happiness was probably already an interesting one for wannabe authors. And the, the latest one is Startup Scale Up Screw Up. What is that experience of writing books? You've said you want you, you like to be on your own thinking, writing, reading. What are the, the different experiences you had with those books? Well, it's a cliche, but it's true. Every book is like a different baby in, in a sense. They're all different kids with different personalities, different histories. So Management Theory Row took me several years to write. A lot of research went into that, a lot of reading of popular science books and articles, etc. That was a very different project compared to the last one, for example, Startup Scale-Up Screw-Up, where basically the publisher said, can you please write another book? Doesn't matter 
much about what it is, but we want to sell another one. That was sort of a compliment, of course, because when publishers want another book, it means that they earned money with your previous one. And then I thought at the time, okay, well, um, if I were going to write another book, I want it to be about the stuff I'm doing now, which was leading a startup at the time and trying to make that work. So that seemed like a good combination. And in that case, the creation of the book took me, I think, about eight, nine or ten months it had to be done within a year and i traveled a lot i spoke with a lot of people across europe startups and scale up so i did quite a few interviews a very different process for that one a very different kind of book but i enjoy each of one of them indeed as you said how to change the world was a very small one that was a self-publishing experiment and managing for happiness is again different it is a horizontal book not vertical very colorful that was my requirement with the publisher at the time that i wanted a full color book so they're all different the fifth one is going to be a novel so that's again a completely different book <laughs> that i am working on now and that's fun i mean always trying something new that I haven't done before. I'm glad that you're working on the next one. I will uh, be interested in reading, uh, in reading that novel. That's excellent. You've been recognized by Inked in the top 50 management and leadership authors. And I know there's a story behind that. There's probably hundreds of writers in the field of leadership and management. What makes some of them more successful than others? Is it their expertise as practitioners or what? I just published a blog post today, actually, with my learnings of the last three years of running a lot of experiments. One thing that I realized is that I'm a much better writer and speaker than practitioner when it comes to management and leadership. And uh, this sounds weird, but if you compare it with other disciplines, for example, the best teachers of music are not necessarily themselves the best musicians and vice versa. The best musicians are not necessarily good teachers of making music. It's the same in sports. If you have great sports coaches, the best in the world, it doesn't really mean that they themselves are really good in the field as athletes. And also great athletes are not necessarily good coaches. So there's a difference between being a teacher of something and being the practitioner of something. They are actually different talents. And that's something that I have noticed myself. I love the teaching aspect of it. I like creating workshops. I like writing about things. I like talking about stuff. And yes, I am also, as I said, an entrepreneur on the side because I also like the practical experience But it doesn't mean that I'm the best manager or leader out there. In fact, I would say I'm a mediocre one. <laughs> Don't hire me as a manager because I happen to write books on the topic. That's very different. Like the top rated Nobel winning economists are probably really bad at running companies. <laughs> Because it's something different, right? Observing and writing about it and really understanding how a field works is very different from operating in that field and being successful as a practitioner. And that's something that I had to realize in the last three years where I sort of found out, well, actually, I'm... I suck in some areas, <laughs> but then I have great insights because of my learnings and I'm able to write about it. And then I inspire other people who are practitioners and they can use my input. And so that's win-win, I suppose. So 
That's why I say first I am a writer and speaker and I do some entrepreneuring on the side because it's fun to have practical experience and to fail and sometimes succeed. I will never be the best entrepreneur out there, but the best entrepreneurs out there are actually pretty bad speakers and writers. <laughs> We all have our own roles, I suppose. I really like the fact that you are looking into that and you are still doing experimentation. You are still working on different projects so you can also test ideas yourself and not only uh, inspire people. I think the two things are really useful to do. I'm always a little bit worried about the people that are only doing the teaching part, I would say. I like when they are going on. And my approach is slightly different from others because there, there are plenty of authors and speakers out there who are coaches or consultants. They go into companies and then they help managers and leaders or other kinds of employees doing their stuff. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just a different approach. And I am not like that. So I have a different role. I often say I, I operate at a 30,000 feet view. I have more of an abstract understanding and I see patterns across the world that also makes it easier for me to come up with new models and new insights. On the one hand, that's a benefit. On the other hand, the drawback is that I do not have the deep experience of observing what happens at specific companies on the inside. So I don't really stand with my feet in the mud, so to speak, except for my own little companies that where I run experiments. And that sort of compensates for me for the, the lack of direct experience I have with large corporates or whatever, because I'm not really interested in, in coaching and consultancy. I, I would not be the, definitely not be the best person to do that. You're already a, a very successful speaker. How would you describe what you bring as a speaker and what are the key to success for a really great speech? It is infotainment. You need to make sure that you have a message, that there are takeaways. You need to understand the audience. So I always ask with my clients, what kind of people are there in the room? Is it only engineers or is it across the company or is it mostly management and things like that? How many? So I usually have an intake before an event so that I know what kind of audience I encounter. You need to entertain people. You need to make them laugh and tell interesting stories and experiences and not just show models or bullet points, definitely no bullet points. That's basically it. Tell stories, be funny, and make sure you understand what the situation is that the audience uh, finds themselves in so you can relate and make the right uh, connection. Because I, I have a vast library of, of content stuff. I, I can talk for hours, literally. I've done that a few weeks ago when I recorded a course for a client in Brazil. That was actually the, the recordings were in London. And uh, I just used my existing materials and I thought, my God, I have so much. I, I talked for five hours and I was still by far not through everything <laughs> that I had. <laughs> So I have quite a bit of stuff that I can make selections from and understand the audience, be funny, share stories, and that will take you 80% towards success, I suppose. How do the pandemic and that, that shift to an hybrid work of work uh, affect your work as a speaker? Uh, will you go back to events or do everything from your home? Well, first of all, the pandemic was terrible, of course, for my line of business. <laughs> 
I just looked it up. Yesterday, I had my last trip home from Melbourne, Australia, where I had done a workshop on uh, the 4th of March of 2020. And then exactly seven days later, the World Health Organization named the COVID virus a pandemic officially. I was home just in time. And then all the events in my calendar were being canceled one after the other. It was like dominoes. <laughs> they were falling over. And uh, I was like, oh, my God, what is happening here? That's all my income for the rest of the year was evaporating, basically. Never waste a good crisis, as they say. So um, I experimented. I came up with alternative ideas. I ran online uh, meetups and and workshops and began other business models, etc. I actually learned from that experience that I don't want to go back fully like the way things were. Because in 2019, I traveled, I think, about maybe 250 days per year. And that was absurd. That was a lot. And I don't want to be away from home that often anymore. I have a wonderful house. We bought a house uh, two months before the COVID pandemic hit, (laughs) coincidentally. And interestingly enough, and that was a great coincidence, uh, the house needed quite a bit of painting. And so I developed a new skill. I'm now really good at painting walls and painting doors and everything. It turns out I enjoy that. I enjoy being able to do something with my hands and make the space that I live in look beautiful. That is so satisfying. And I would never have experienced that if if there hadn't been the pandemic. I would just have paid a professional painter and that would not have been the same thing. Now I sit in my chair and I look around me and I think, cool, I did that. (laughs) And I'm, I'm very happy with that. I want to be home more in the house that I, to a large extent, I, I painted myself. So for me also, it, it is a case of, yeah, I will be in a hybrid situation. I do want to go back to travel because I miss the coffee bars in, in Stockholm and the, the people in Warsaw and, and et cetera, et cetera but not 250 days per year anymore, a bit less. That's good to find that balance, but I'm glad that you're back to even because I'm eager to hear you speak again. So it's perfect. It would be awesome. I mean, I have a trip to Prague upcoming and then from May, I have quite a few trips scheduled across Europe mostly. And I very much look forward to that, to be on stage again. I think a lot of people are waiting for that too. You worked with many leaders. And among those you admire, what's the the one trait that stands out to you? How is that trait is important to you in the way you see leadership? Actually, the second person I asked me that question this week, and I was also not able to answer it last time, (laughs) because I read a lot, many articles, I listen to many podcasts, lots of books, and there are many sources where I draw my inspiration from. And... To be honest, there is not one single person who inspires me most. There are dozens, if not hundreds, for different reasons. I could name one random person, Richard Branson. I admire 
him for the way he manages his companies and the message he gets across of, of be there for your people first, that the people come first, and then they uh, will take care of your customers. They make sure that the customer comes first. I totally agree with that message. And it's amazing that he built like 400 virgin companies all under one umbrella. Um, but that's that's completely different from others who, I don't know, who have been active in complexity science or something, where I admire the likes of, I don't know, um, Stuart Kaufman, who wrote amazing books explaining how life evolves. <laughs> I have drawn inspiration from that for complex systems such as organizations. There are many people I'm, I'm not able to come up with with one name. Also, I don't think it would be fair to come up with the one person that I admire the most. It's, it's heavily context dependent on what kind of topic we are talking about. So if you narrow it down to a very specific topic, then it would be easier <laughs> to come up with names. It's interesting, and I love that you picked Something that I think is important for leadership, that idea of people first, is something that is important. So that's, you picked one thing there. Yes, I know it's random. It's an interesting one, I guess. One action you've taken in the past to develop yourself as a leader, and what did you learn from that? I listened to podcasts, as I said, today as well, I think an hour or something, because I had a long walk through the city from my home to a coffee bar that I enjoy and back. I tried to use that time of walking around and sitting in public transport and looking forward to the traveling. Then I can do even more podcast listening in those moments that you stand in a security line or sit in a taxi on the way to the hotel and things like that. And for me, that's it's a great way to encounter new ideas that I have not heard before or just be inspired by thoughts from very different domains. Uh, I listened to a Nobel Prize winning economist today who got his Nobel Prize for the very agile idea of running experiments, field experiments, because he said that most of the economy was a lot of theorizing, coming up with theoretical models of how the world is supposed to work. But he said very few actually went out of their offices into the into real life, just running experiments on businesses and people to see how they behave in response to which interventions. And that was very new for economy. Well, it was perfectly obvious in medicine, for example, do controlled trials, you have the random blind tests and everything. But that was a new idea in economy. And he got a Nobel Prize for that. And that what I listened to was it sounded really agile. <laughs> I thought that was super cool, super interesting. And that's what I do to be inspired. I listen to podcasts and well, obviously a lot of reading. But uh, that is one tip that I can give people. Just subscribe yourself to uh, lots of uh, fascinating um, podcasts out there and be inspired by what happens in completely different domains because you can learn from economy, you can learn from healthcare, you can learn from design or whatnot. Thank you very much, Jorgen. Jorgen Apello is a serial founder, successful entrepreneur, author and speaker. And thank you for having joined me on the podcast today, Jorgen. It was a great pleasure. Thank you, Alexis. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Love Podcast. Go to alexis.monville.com for the references mentioned in the episode and to find more help to increase your impact and satisfaction at work. Drop a comment or an email with your feedback or just to say hello. And until next time, to find better ways of changing your team. Thank you.